Hello, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. And let me start this week's edition by thanking all those of you who've already signed up as partners. Uh, it was a huge encouragement to me to see you doing that. I'm really grateful for the support. For those of you who are planning to join the partnership program but haven't gotten around to it yet, you've got just a little bit longer to get yourselves organised. Uh, this is the second last edition that will be sent out free to everybody. Uh, from September the 4th onwards is what I'm thinking, only those who've signed up to be regular partners of The Painful Truth will get every episode every week. Uh, and for everyone else who's on the free list, they'll get every third edition or so. Uh, just to remind you to become a partner, it's pretty straightforward. You go across to the website, that's thepainfultruth.online, thepainfultruth.online. Uh, you fill in your email address and you just follow the options through from there. You can become a monthly partner for $7 a month. Uh, an annual partner for $70 a year, which is the one that most people seem to be choosing. Or if you want to go all in and you're uh, a real supporter, you can become a lifetime partner. You can pay $700 and that's it forever. Now, if you'd really like to keep receiving The Painful Truth every week, you're enjoying it and you want to be part of the discussion, but you're just not in a position to become a partner at present, financially or for whatever reason, that's also fine. I certainly don't want anyone to miss out because of their current circumstances. Just send me an email. Uh, email me at tonyjpain at me.com. No need to explain or apologize. Just simply say, please put me on the free weekly list. And I'd be very glad to do that. I don't want anyone to miss out. But if you are in a position to become a partner and you want to also to contribute back to what I'm doing to allow me and help me to keep doing it, then that's a good option as well. Please do that. Well, enough of the housekeeping. On to today's subject, which is feminism. I was preparing to speak with some ministry trainees a few weeks ago about this subject. Well, about the subject of men and women in ministry, 1 Timothy 2, complementarianism as it's called, and all sorts of other simple subjects like that. When it occurred to me that we couldn't really discuss these questions without dealing with the elephant in the room. Well, I was going to say the elephant in the room, but it's actually more like the wallpaper, the carpet, the table, the chairs, and the air conditioning in the room. It's a set of settled and pervasive ideas that just form the environment for any discussion of this subject at the moment. If you talk about men and women and ministry in church or in marriage, you simply can't have that conversation without becoming aware of this set of ideas that forms the whole backdrop, the environment within which we discuss them. And those ideas are, of course, what is normally summarised as feminism. But feminism is, is very hard to identify, and it's hard to critique it's hard to identify partly because we just barely even notice it anymore. It's so much part of our social fabric. It's become such a kind of dominant, pervasive orthodoxy that we hardly even see it anymore. It's just part of the air we breathe. But it's also hard to identify because everybody has their own version of it, and usually a version that they're in favour of, at least in some way. Uh, nearly everybody says, well, I'm not that sort of feminist, but I, I do think feminism is good in this way. It's achieved this, and so I am in favour of it, at least at that level. Uh, people tend to have that approach to feminism, very often while having little idea of what feminism has actually taught as a movement and what it's actually done and stood for and promoted over the past, well, 50 plus years it's been now. And so the variety of feminism makes it a hard movement to understand and to critique. 
but so does its status as one of these moral orthodoxies that exist in our culture. You really do have to genuflect to feminism these days, or at least nod appreciatively in its general direction. Uh, And if you don't, well, I guess you're risking nutcase status or perhaps pariah status in our culture. Uh, Critiquing feminism, it's, it's like critiquing air or critiquing Jacinta Ardern, and who would want to do that? So, to help my trainees think about men and women and 1 Timothy 2 and all those issues, I figured I had to bring feminism to the fore, to make it visible, and to show how the core ideas of feminism relate to the Bible's view of men and women. And so I came up with this shortest summary of feminism ever, an attempt to capture in a nutshell what feminism, in all its variety, teaches about men and women, and how that compares with what the Bible says. So here goes, and I'd be interested to hear from you as to what you think of this shortest summary of feminism. Let's start with the biblical worldview in three points. The biblical worldview of men and women. Firstly, that men and women are equally created in the image of God, and yet are not uniform. There are differences between men and women, created differences, and those differences are a reality, and they are good because they're created by God. First point. Second, that the complementary ordered relationships between these different creatures, these men and women, the sort of relationships that are expressed in marriage or in church life, these also are a reality, a created reality, and they're good. And thirdly, sin and the fall and the mess of our lives makes the conduct of these ordered relationships difficult. But all the same, men and women experience a very satisfying and productive unity, even in their difference, when they pursue these ordered relationships together and God's purposes for themselves and for the world. So that's the biblical worldview, that created differences are a reality and they're good, that complementary ordered relationships are also a reality and are good, and that all of this, though not straightforward in our fallen world, produces a very satisfying unity between men and women. What of feminism then? Well, let's start with second wave feminism, as it's called. That's the brand of feminism that was dominant in the 60s through to the 80s, I guess. It's the kind of women's lib feminism of of Betty Friedan and Germaine Greer, the classic kind of bra-burning feminism of, of that period. It can be summarized in three points that contrast to the biblical view. Firstly, that there is no difference, no material difference between men and women. We're all just people. And so every woman can and should be able to do anything that a man can do. And so in the second wave feminism, the difference between the sexes is de-emphasized quite radically. Secondly, there's therefore no ordered relationship between men and women. And in fact, any attempt to have an ordered relationship in which men and women are different and relate to each other from different viewpoints or roles, this is repression. Uh, because it denies the total equality of persons. In second-wave feminism, equality equals sameness. And so there can be no ordered relationship in second-wave feminism. And so, thirdly, the goal is not unity um, between men and women, because that would imply difference. The goal is uniformity. 
It's the dissolving of difference so that all individuals, men and women, can pursue personal freedom and the actualization of their selves and their goals in life in the same way. And ironically, this ended up being defined in terms of the various things that men do and achieve. So that's second wave feminism. No material difference between men and women. No ordered relationships, therefore, between men and women. And no unity, but an attempt at uniformity. Well, feminism evolved, of course, after the second wave, partly in response to the fact that the goals of second wave feminism never really were realised. And so we had third slash fourth wave feminism, and these are hard to separate separate out, and so I'm just going to treat them as one, given this is the shortest summary ever. And third and fourth wave feminism really were a, a set of movements from the 1990s through until now, partly in reaction to the failures of second wave feminism. They encompassed various kinds of difference feminism. Uh, and the identity politics or the intersectional politics of the current moment. And third and fourth wave feminists are often dismissive or even openly hostile towards older feminists, second wave feminists. What are the features of, of third slash fourth wave feminism? Well, again, let me try three that uh, relate to the, the three features of the biblical worldview. Well, firstly, there's a renewed emphasis on difference on the uniqueness or difference of women, whether that's in the feisty kind of girl power feminism of the 90s, or the more recent emphasis on women as an identity group, an oppressed identity group, that you can choose to identify with regardless of your biological gender. In this view, men are different from women, but not in a good way. Masculinity is toxic. It, it leads only to violence and rape and the oppression of women. And so, secondly, there is an ordered relationship between men and women in third and fourth wave feminism, but it's not a good one. It's a power relationship of oppression and violence in which men are the perpetrators and women are the victims. And so, thirdly, in third and fourth wave feminism, there, there can be no unity between men and women, only a social and political struggle in which the power and dominance of men needs to be overthrown in some sort of way. Now, what all feminisms have in common, looking at second and third and fourth wave feminism, is really a rejection of the biblical view in some way or form. So there's firstly a rejection of the concept that there is a good created difference between men and women. There's either no difference, as in second wave feminism, or the difference is bad. It's oppressive in third and fourth wave feminism. But the idea of good created difference is rejected in, in all feminisms. Secondly, there's a corresponding rejection of the possibility of complementary good ordered relationships between men and women, relationships that are liberating and wonderful. Because any concept of an ordered relationship either denies equality in second-wave feminism or constitutes oppression in third-wave and fourth-wave feminisms. And so all feminisms reject pretty decisively the idea that there could be ordered relationships between men and women that are in fact liberating and good. And finally, all feminisms therefore produce an ongoing disunity between men and women. 
either because in the second wave, men resist in their chauvinism the call to dissolve all distinctions between men and women, or because in third and fourth wave feminism, men are the power group, the oppressors, who constantly victimise and brutalise women and need to be cast down. Now, feminism as it actually operates today rarely presents us with these simple forms of its ideas. In fact, the competing claims of the different kinds of feminisms, especially second wave and third slash fourth wave, often result in sort of confusing and contradictory cultural messages in in our society. For example, on the one hand, we're constantly told uh, in every movie that we see and in every newspaper report that women are smart and strong and capable and powerful. They don't need men to explain things to them or to protect them or to provide for them. These are classic second wave assumptions about women. And yet on the other hand, we're also being told frequently that women are victims, that they're the oppressed victims of a brutalised, sexually violent system run by men, that they constantly suffer microaggressions of language and attitude, that they need safe spaces to survive. That's fourth wave identity politics feminism. Even so, if the summary I've provided above is even broadly correct, and I think it is, we need to break our silence about feminism. We need to recognise its existence and bring it out of the background into the foreground and openly critique it. Because like all rebellions against God and his good created order, feminism is really a terrible idea and it leads to bad consequences. It denies the reality that God has created between men and women. And the result has really been calamitous. And it's ironically been calamitous for women themselves, but also, of course, for men and for marriages and for children and for our broader culture and, of course, for our churches as well. We need to understand feminism clearly, bring it out into the open and be unafraid to teach against its errors. Hence my attempt at this little nutshell summary. And I'm wondering whether you can help me improve it. Well, perhaps the simplest way to help me improve it is to leave a comment over on the website or to send me an email. Uh, Zip across to thepainfultruth.online. You can see the summary there in text form, and it might be easier actually to take in in text form. And you can just leave a comment underneath letting me know how you'd like me to improve it, because I would like to sharpen and improve uh, this little nutshell summary so that it's as helpful as possible. Of course, you can also email me at tonyjpain at me.com at any point with, uh, with your suggestions and thoughts. I'd be really interested to hear from you about this question. Well, that's about it for this week. Don't forget, if you want to keep getting The Painful Truth every week, um, become a partner, go across to thepainfultruth.online and subscribe. Or if you'd like to get it every week, but you're not in a position to become a partner, again, just send me an email at tonyjpain at me.com. Well, great to be with you again this week. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.